And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Herring. Elliot, what's the chances of me getting to interview Dan Marino with you? I'd like to think they're fairly good. I, I hope they would happen this century. You know, is you know, we we have to sort of work our way toward that. I thought we hit the top with Jim Brown and Gail Sayers. We did. But you you have this Dan Marino fixation. I I've been working and working on him forever and it just I just can't get it to click. Like Frank Gifford finally clicked one Frank day. Frank Gifford. And Jim Brown just clicked the one day. I mean, I don't know about yeah. Dan Marino. Well, maybe we can find a way to him. Do we go through Pittsburgh with Mike Ditker or you think go through his center? I think if, if let's take the uh, center route. The center route, because, I mean, he had his back all those years in his front. I think we're talking about Dwight Stevenson, former Miami Dolphin center. I remember him blocking so many times for Marino, and you know what? He protected him well. Yeah, I think they led the, that line, led the league in fewest sacks allowed and things like that. Well, let's get right to an interview we tape with Dwight Stevenson. Dwight, I see that you went in the Hall of Fame back a couple of years ago. That would be a real pleasure for you. Absolutely. It's one of those... Accomplishments that never even considered possible for me. Uh, uh, am I happy to be there? Uh, I absolutely am. Uh, it's uh, you know it's awesome to be be in that club. It's uh, you know it's a great guys in there, and I'm happy to be in the club. Now, when you think of linemen making it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it's a guy who's been there ten, fifteen, you know, maybe even longer. Your career was fairly short. Did it surprise you to to reach well, that level to get in? Like I mentioned, I mean, yeah, I really is one of those things that you know to get in the Hall of Fame is truly an honor. It's something that I didn't even think possible. But to, to say, yeah, when I look at and compare myself to some of the guys that went into the Hall of Fame, they some guys had a lot longer career and that sort of thing, and uh, and they deserve to be in the Pro Football Hall of, Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm in there. And uh, even though my career, uh, I mean, might not be 15 years, but I did play in the league. I was in the league nine years. I mean, eight as a player. One year I was there, uh, I was on injury reserve. But uh, it's compared to some some guys' career, yes, the career's not that long. I'm not happy to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I feel I deserve to be in there. Uh, you know, I, I do feel as though, you know, it's one of those honors that I, I'm not going to give it up. I'm very, very happy to be there. And, uh and uh, and if I'd done it in eight years, uh, I'm, I'm even more proud of that. You played for what? Only two coaches in your college and pro career, Don Shula and uh, Bear Bryant? You know, I didn't really, really uh, realize how fortunate I was at the time. I mean, playing for, like you mentioned, one coach and probably the greatest coach ever in, uh, you know, possibly in, 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 on, in college football. I had my old four, uh, four years. Uh, he taught me things that I still still carry with me today, and then leave there and come down here and play for probably the greatest coach to ever coach on this level, uh, and that's Coach Don Shula. Uh, was I was I, I I understood and I knew I was I was around some guys that were that were the best at what they did, did, but I probably didn't appreciate the way I should have. I mean, I really. I really enjoyed it, and like I said, I mean, Coach Shula taught me things that I still carry with me today. They were great, great. If I had to do it all over again, I think I would probably, you know, just appreciate it just that much more because, I mean, like I said, I did appreciate it. I, I enjoyed playing there at the University of Alabama and playing for Coach Paul Bear Bryant. Uh, so. 
I mean, it was a great, great experience. How does a guy from North Carolina end up at Alabama? <laughs> you know, you got to have some good high school teammates, you know, some really great ones that can go anywhere in the country. And that's kind of, that's really how it kind of happened. Alabama came there and a lot of other guys came there to the, uh, to our high school there, uh, uh, and, and one or two guys, it was two great football players there, Woodrow Wilson and Simon Gupton. And, uh, we all, uh, went pretty much grade school, high school and all that together. And they had opportunity to go pretty much anywhere they wanted to go in the country. And the University of Alabama came there and they were recruiting those two guys. And my high school coach, uh, uh, coach Mike Smith, which is a great coach in his own right. I mean, great coach. Uh, he said, hey, you know, we got Dwight Stevenson here, and uh, I think he can play at the University of Alabama. I guess that's what he said. And anyway, they they looked at me, and they said, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll take, we'll take him too. You know, we, and I think they really thought that they were going to get those other two guys, and then I was coming along. What happened was those other two guys, I signed first, okay? And then the other two guys, they, they pretty much, uh, <laughs> they had a deal. They were going to go to school together, and they went to NC State, so uh, we all signed up pretty much on that same day. I went to the university. I decided to come to University of Alabama, and and then uh, after I had already made my commitment, they decided to go to NC State, and it worked out well for everybody. I tell you, I went to University of Alabama. I had a great time, and uh, and then they went down, went on down to NC State, and both of them made like all conference and that sort of thing. They were uh, did did well there as well and stuff, and uh, we're still great friends today and stuff. As a matter of fact, so. Do you ever aggravate Joe Namath saying, listen, Bear Bryant said I was the best player ever coached? <laughs> I know, you know that. But that uh, when people say that, right, I think the more I tell them, no, no, he didn't say I was the greatest player or the best player that he ever coached. What he said was I was the best center that he ever coached. And uh, and that seems to get more life when I try to tell people that I didn't, that he didn't say I was the greatest coach, uh, greatest player that uh of all time, a greatest player they ever played for him. No, there's some great players play there. University of Alabama, you're talking about the Joe Namath, uh, John Hanna, Terry Jones. I mean, you know, uh, just Tony Nathan, some great, great football players. And I'm happy to be mentioned amongst them. He, he did not say that I was the greatest football player that he ever coached. He said I was the best center. So uh, that that alone uh, yeah, means a whole lot to me right there. Yeah, but without the center, Joe Namath, uh, Kenny Stabler, none of those guys do anything. You got to have the guy to get him, give him the ball, right? No question. I mean, the center is very, very important. It's one of those positions that I think that I mean, it's kind of natural leadership position. It's one of those uh, uh, you know you you set the huddle. Everybody set themselves. I mean, they set around you. And then when you break the huddle, you're the first one to break the huddle. And if you walk to the line, I think everybody else walks to the line. If you run to the ball, I think they're running to the ball. So. You kind of, uh, it's a natural leadership position and stuff. Now, uh, at different times, uh, you know, we, we have a lot, a lot of responsibility. Our job is to try to keep our, put a, you know, we have play calls to make and that sort of thing, uh, blocking assignments to make sure that we can protect the quarterback or, you know, if, if it was a running play, you know, make sure that the running play is successful and whatnot. But I, uh, I enjoy it. Of all the positions on the football field, I mean, that is the position that I wanted to play. I didn't necessarily, would I play, I would have played anywhere, but that position was somewhere. Some way, I always gravitated towards it. When I was coming up, I was a center at the at Minnesota Vikings. His name is Mick Tinglehoff. I never got a chance, never have met him, uh, but he was a guy that I kind of I watched. But I watched all the centers, and then I watched, you know, of course, Mike Webster and Jim Langer and Ringo, and I mean, all the great centers. But uh, uh, but I always gravitated toward the center, uh, the center position. What was Bear Bryant like? Do you have any stories about him? 
you know, he was a say is one of those experiences that I tell you he was probably the right guy for me at that my at, at that time in my life. I mean, I came to University of Alabama probably you're know, not a Expecting a whole lot. I mean, wondering really if I could even play there, if I even deserved to be there. And you know, he kind of got us. <laughs> he got us in that training camp, or got us in that you know, got us in those tour days. That's what they pretty much broke us all down. Pretty much, and kind of you know, let us know that hey, you know what? It's great you were good in high school, and it's great that you uh, feel good about yourself. But you know, you're all starting here on the even level here right now. And it depends on how hard you work and what you do and decisions that you make is that how good a football player you become here at the University of Alabama and how, and what you do for the rest of your life. So that's kind of, you know, he, he taught me things back then that really, like I said, he was the right guy that had to come into my life, I feel, at that time. So, so I enjoyed it. How did Don Shula's coaching style uh, com- compare to Coach Bryant? I think they were very similar. I think that, I mean, they were very, very organized. I mean, their practices, there was no lot of gagging around it. Their practices were very, very organized. They went over, they went over situations. They would go over situations, game type situations, situations. They didn't leave much to chance. They wanted to, getting on the, I mean, where we were going to stay, everything. Those guys were involved in the details. Uh, they may not have necessarily, uh, Everyday monitoring, but but they were involved in details. And they knew what was going on. Um, it was a great experience, really playing there at University of Alabama, seeing our coach Brian, who was dealing with boys. I mean, pretty much we're we're young boys. I mean, older boys who tried to be men and that sort of thing. And uh, and he kind of handled us that way, knowing that we need to be molded and you know decisions we're gonna make. You know, like like quitting or, or those, those type of things. You can't quit. I mean, you, you quit once, it's easier to do it the next time. Those kind of things we learned there from you down at the, the University of Alabama. Then when I came down with the Dolphins, uh, I mean, Coach Brian, Coach Shula, he was dealing more with men. I mean, we some of us had families and you know so forth, and had responsibility, a lot more responsibility and whatnot. And he, he treated us that way, uh, but he did, but he didn't need much chance either. When it came down to the the football game, I mean, he would go over situations. You overlearn situations. Uh, that was one of his phrases. You overlearn it, and uh, and uh, but they were they were very highly organized, very competitive uh, people. That you know, they taught you things both of them that you carry with you for the rest of your life. I'll tell you what, though, you saw Don Shula change as a coach because he was known with the Dolphins as a running coach, and all of a sudden he gets Dan Marino, and it became Air Marino. Right. I, he recognized also. The rule changes. You know, you can't keep on doing the same thing. Let's say 30 years ago. I mean, the rules changed. And I think Coach Brian, I mean, excuse me, Coach Shooter, he changed with the rules and whatnot. The game, the, uh, the, the passing game became more of an opportunity. And then you had Dan Marino, no question. It was kind of like it was a match made there and stuff. And uh, Dan was, he was, uh, we were a good football team. And Dan was what we needed and that sort of thing. We needed a guy like the guy was a, uh, you know, Awesome. He's an awesome leader. He uh, and a competitor, and uh, you know, just a guy that's tough. I mean, a, a really tough, physically guy, physical as well as physically as well as mentally. I mean, a very very tough guy. So Could I enjoy Dan. When Marino joined the team in '83, you'd been a you know there since '80. Could you tell right away that this this guy was different from uh, the other quarterbacks? Yeah, you could. You know. 
Dan was a guy, you know, you just saw something about him that, you know what, this guy can just, he can throw the football. He can, he can throw the football. And then you watch him in games, and he wasn't afraid. Like, I heard other people say he wasn't afraid of making a mistake. You know, he would go out there, and he would try something. And if it didn't work, he wouldn't say necessarily he'd never do that again kind of thing. He would he looked at it like, well, if I would have only did this, or well, I did that, and the next time he would go out there and make that correction. I mean, I mean, he was as a... He was a guy that was going for it. He wasn't interested in, um, I feel, in uh, almost getting there. I mean, he wanted, he wanted, he wanted to go for it and stuff. And uh, and uh, and that, that attitude was a great attitude. Did he drive Coach Shula nuts at times because he would just do his own thing? <laughs> you know what? I think the Coach Shula again. I mean, he, he adapted again. I mean, at that Dan, you did want him to kind of do his own thing. When he get in the groove and he's out there and he knows. And those guys, I don't see here some wide receivers that kind of knew what they wanted to get done as well and stuff like that. I mean, he would kind of like he would be more open to to hearing uh, their ideas and whatnot, or letting them kind of uh, what I want to say not no never out of control or anything, but let them try things and let you know Dan would call his plays at times and stuff like that. But he never, uh, you know, Dan. Kind of like I mean, he 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 was there, but sometimes in situations, especially in two minute drills and whatnot, I mean, you just gotta kind of go, and they would they would make adjustments on the field instead of doing this at twelve yards, go down to sixteen yards, seventeen yards, and if that guy don't do this right here, you could keep on going to the goal line, and I get it to you. Those kind of things instead in the huddle and stuff, and uh, you know, and and they worked for us. Uh, so it was a, yeah, I mean, he Dan was the right guy. Dan was the right guy. The Dolphins are one of those franchises that tend to elevate their offensive linemen, whether it's Larry Little or Kuchenberg or Langer. You know, there's a history there. Did you feel comfortable going into that position of uh, be, almost being put on a pedestal or at least recognized for for what the offensive line does? Yeah, I think that I, I think that it's very, very important that any successful team realizes that the offensive line, not necessarily the individual, but the offensive line as a whole, is very, very important. I mean, that offensive line decides, I feel, or defensive line decides really who wins that game for the most part, for the, for the most, for the most games. Uh, if they're playing well together and they're coming out of the football, and like you mentioned, I mean, the Miami Dolphins out here, they promoted and they, they knew the offensive linemen, Coach Ulim, they realized they were important. And they had, you know, great coach in uh, Monty Tau, uh not Monty Tau, but uh, anyway. They had Monty great, Kiffin. No, not, not, not Monty Kiffin, but uh, Monty, uh, oh, Monty Clark. Monty Clark. Okay. Monty Clark. Uh, but, you know, in the 72 and the undefeated seat, uh, back then and stuff. Uh, but, you know, they put the emphasis on the offensive line and stuff. And they didn't necessarily have all number one draft choices either. But they had guys that really would have put it on the line every play. And uh, that's why I feel the offensive lineman you need to. I mean, you got to have a guy that, that's not necessarily going out there, the most talented guy, but a guy that literally he'll put it on the line every play and give you all he got and that sort of thing. That, that I think, is very, very important. But the offensive lineman, I think, very important to the success of the football team, too. I think that they uh, literally most time they're, they're not just because they're a part of it, but usually they're the hardest working group <laughs> on the field or whatever and stuff. They're, if they're not on the field, they're in the weight room and, you know, studying plays and trying to, you know, coordinate and make sure that they, they worked well together as a unit. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Miami Dolphins, always, they've always put emphasis on, I feel, on offensive linemen. 
uh, and, and having quality offensive line uh, and line plays. So, and I think again that I continue to see that you know they they invested heavily in some high round draft choices here lately and stuff, and they just have to continue to work and you know play well and. Uh, and, and they get to the point where they probably communicate without doing a whole lot of talking. You know, they, they kind of know what one needs to do and what they're trying to get done out there on that field. Dan Marino was my favorite football player of all time, but the play I remember most for was that fake spike where he threw for the touchdown. Did he call that play Shula, or was that just an improv? You know, that play happened after I had left here. But uh, it's a play that's been in our, uh, in our you know, it's been in our, you know, uh, when I was repertoire or in our playbook and whatnot for, you know, even when I when I was here. But when that play actually, yeah, probably a year after I retired, maybe maybe two years after I retired. But it's one of those plays that with the right situation and everything, I mean, it's a perfect play. And, and Dan recognized it and uh, he called it. I think probably Dan called it, probably. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know who gets the credit for the call and the play. But it sounds like something Dan probably done on the field out there and stuff. And because uh, I don't know if Coach Lee had time to get it from the sideline, it worked like clockwork. It was a uh, you know just one of those uh, another amazing moment in Dan Dan Marino's career. What defensive lineman gave you the most trouble? Joe Clacko is one of the strongest guys I ever played against, uh, and one of the nicest guys. And uh, you know he's not in the football Hall of Fame, and he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Then you move on. You know, and Howard Long was after them. He was just a he was an athlete. The guy could do do it all pretty much. He could play the run. You know, smart guy. Uh, you know, uh, just one heck of a football player. He could he could pretty much do it all. I felt bad for Joe Klecko. It seemed like he was always in Mark Gasno's shadow. Gasno was the showman doing the dances, but Klecko got it done. He did. Joe Klecko was a, the guy was phenomenal. He could play the run as well as pass and. Uh, he wasn't. He was that when they had it going. When both when that defensive line had it going, and they were they were at New York Stock Exchange. They were something. And Joe Clacko was the lead. I mean, he was just a special football player. Great, great guy. Did Dan Marino really give you guys isotoner gloves to wear? Or was that just a commercial? <laughs> no, he actually gave us some gloves. He did that. He it wasn't that day or whatever. But he actually gave us some isotoner gloves. I think he might have gave more than just off the line. He brought some in the locker room, but he made sure we got some and stuff. And Dan's always, he's always taking care of the guy, you know, and stuff and doing things. And, uh, you know, we go to dinner and, you know, that kind of stuff. He, he done those things for us as, as a, as a union and stuff. And, and, you know, just a great guy. He wasn't a guy, he wasn't standoffish. He was a guy that very, he, he would hang out with the offensive linemen. He, he, you know, he's a, he's a great guy. Great guy. What I don't get is Eric Dickerson bought his lineman Rolex watches, and you got gloves. Something's not right there. <laughs> well, you know, Eric Dixon, Dickerson, I mean, great football player. And he took care of his offensive lineman, and that is absolutely great. And uh, But Dan Marino took care of his I mean, he did, we didn't He didn't buy his Rolex watch, but Dan is, a, Dan is a true friend. I mean, he's a guy that when we need something, we, all you have to do is call on the guy. He's a... And I'm not saying that he can't call on Dickinson and, and his guys can't call on him. But I do want to mention Dan is just a super guy and stuff. And, uh, and we all, we all appreciate playing, playing with him. We appreciate, I appreciate his friendship now. I mean, just a, just awesome individual and a real family guy, uh, you know, and a, and a, and a awesome teammate and friend. 
Yeah. The difference is you can probably go to Marino today and he'll give you another pair of isotoner gloves. I don't think Eric Dickerson's still handing out Rolex watches. There you go. So there, you know, he, Dan can repeat that. He can do, uh, he can do that, do what he did the first time. He can do it again or whatever stuff. So. But no, he's a, he's, he's, he's a great guy. Great guy. Stuff. Still doing a lot of good things down here in South Florida. It's hard to believe that he only had two coaches during his whole career. Amazing. I mean, Bear Bryant and Don Shula. Yeah, two legendary coaches. Pretty impressive. Our next guest had, what, one coach his whole career, Randy White? In the pros. In the pros, Tom Landry. In college, he probably had one or two, but it's amazing. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go from one side of the line to the other. We're going to have Dolphin Hall of Famer Randy White. Stay tuned. 